Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. We maintain the peace through our strength. Weakness only invites aggression. Trust, but verify. Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. America's best days are yet to come. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. This week's episode features a conversation with Reagan Institute Policy Director Rachel Hoff and Mr. Nuri Turkel, the first U.S.-educated Uyghur American lawyer, foreign policy expert, and human rights advocate. Born in a re-education camp at the height of China's tumultuous cultural revolution, Mr. Turkel is a leading advocate on behalf of the Uyghurs, a Turkic Muslim population, many of whom live in Western China. Both the Trump and Biden administrations concluded that the Chinese government is committing genocide against the Uyghur people. Mr. Turkel is an adjunct fellow at the Hudson Institute, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and serves as a commissioner on the U.S. Commission of International Religious Freedom. Rachel and Mr. Turkel discuss his personal story and ongoing struggle to end the Chinese Communist Party's genocide against the Uyghurs. If you enjoy the conversation, remember to subscribe to Reaganism wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Reaganism. I'm your guest host, Rachel Hoff, and it is my honor to be joined today by our guest, Nuri Turkel, who is a true champion for freedom and human dignity, two things that were at the core of President Reagan's leadership, his legacy, and the work of the Ronald Reagan Institute. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'd like to start our conversation fairly generally to set the stage. Tell us who are the Uyghur people? Um, Apart from the challenges that they're facing today, tell us a bit about their history, culture, and and way of life. Uyghur people are uh, Turkic uh, people who live in the heart of Central Asia, uh, specifically in the Northwestern part of China. The Uyghur's homeland makes one-sixth of the China proper, uh, approximately four times the size of the state of California uh, or the size of uh, Alaska. It's a giant landmass. It borders with uh, several countries, including Russia, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, India, Pakistan, and to the east, China and Tibet. Uh, the official Chinese uh, Statistics show the Uyghur populations is at around 11, 12 million. Uh, They change the numbers uh, based on how convenient it it is for them. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it's a sizable population. Um, The Uyghur community around the world uh, dispute that figure. Uh, The Uyghurs believe that the actual Uyghur uh, population could be at least uh, 16, 17 million within the China proper. Outside of China, there are sizable Uyghur communities uh, in Central Asian Turkic states, uh, in Europe, North America, Australia, and Japan. And the largest Uyghur community, I would say, uh, live in Kazakhstan. Uh, Uzbekistan does not officially recognize a Uyghur uh, population, but based on uh, the Kazakhstan's own uh, uh, acknowledgement, uh, there are nearly uh, a million uh, Uyghurs living in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. The Chinese government's uh, uh, policies in this region uh, over the years 
have been uh, name on autonomy only, uh, but has been uh, subject to brutal uh, political repression, uh, racial discrimination, uh, economic exploitations. Hmm. At the Ronald Reagan Institute, we recently commissioned a public opinion poll to determine what the American people believe about a variety of foreign policy issues. And one of the things that really um, stood out to us was that the American people are actually greatly concerned about human rights violations in China. They actually, that issue, human rights violations tops the list, Americans' number one concern with regard to China. But when we asked them how much they knew about um, what's happening to the Uyghurs, um, the, the survey respondents, most of them admitted that they knew relatively little about the situation. Um, so explain to us exactly what the Chinese government is doing to the Uyghurs in, in Xinjiang. The Chinese authorities have been committing various forms of human rights abuses against the Uyghur people since uh, Mao's occupation of Uyghur homeland in 1949 with the help of Stalin's Soviet Union. Political repression, racial discrimination, social inequalities, cultural erasure, and economic ex exploitation have been uh, part of uh, China's overall policies in the region. Uh, and, and coupled with uh, the social norm, uh, us against them mentality in light of Uyghur's Eurasian way of life, religion, uh, language, physical appearances, diet, and tradition. So to the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the, the Uyghur's religious practices, uh, pride in their ethnic identity as sign of disloyalty to the state and party, of course, um, causes them of a simmering resentment and sources of future unrest and threat to uh, stability, which is a paramount concern for the Communist Party and uh, Xi Jinping authority. So over the years, domestic and international events have uh, offered triggers for Beijing to intensify its repressive policies against the Uyghurs. After the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, China helped to establish uh, a regional organization called Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which was used as a vehicle to prevent the Uyghurs demanding uh, political freedom uh, or independence, if you will, like the ones in, uh, uh, in, uh, in Central Asia, uh, Turkic, uh, uh, Turkic nations that have cultural, linguistic and historic ties to the Uyghur people. So the Chinese tried to come up with the various types of policies to prevent the region from becoming balkanized. Mm -hmm. So whatever happened in the uh, Central Eastern Europe and Central Asia have been major uh, policy shift uh, for the Chinese. They tried to learn the lesson of the Soviets uh, and, and prevent it uh, effectively. Otherwise, the Uyghurs will not be subject to today's uh, genocidal campaign. Could you tell us a little bit more about what all of that means for the daily life of, of um, the Uyghur people? You know, is whether, whether they're living inside one of the camps or, or outside what, you know, take us through kind of what that means for their daily life. Initially, uh, during the early uh, 80s, uh, 90s, uh, the Uyghurs enjoyed the sort of cultural, uh, social uh, freedom uh, 
even though the political repression always been part of the Uyghur lives. Uh, starting in mid-90s, uh, the Uyghurs experienced um, a political repression in a kind of military style. The Chinese uh, not only convinced the neighboring countries not to support any type of legitimate uh, political uh, demand uh, expressed by their own citizens as well as the ones from China. Uh, and the domestic front, uh, they ratcheted up the pressure on anyone who may have a nationalistic or a strong cultural identity. Uh, that takes us to the 9-11 world. Uh, uh, right before 9-11, China didn't even use the word terrorism to um, uh, state its grievances against the Uyghur people. So US-led war on terror uh, provided them a, a, a convenience uh, in a political uh, arena and diplomatic arena. Not only, not only scare away potential sympathy for the Uyghurs, but also convince its uh, client states not to support the Uyghurs, resulting in uh, Uyghur refugees being refolded uh, re uh, back to China from uh, Kazakhstan, Pakistan, and other neighboring countries. And then starting 2009, uh, after the ethnic clash of July 5, the Chinese really poured in uh, a lot of resources and starting uh, securitization. Even before today's nightmare started, the Uyghur's homeland, East Turkestan, was already a kind of a police state. So uh, since Xi Jinping took, up, took office, uh, took power, or become a, a ruler of China, uh, the political environment uh, literally take 180 degrees shift. Mm -hmm. With the arrival of this uh, uh, party secretary from Tibet, uh, by the name Chen Zhengguo, who was um, very successful in handling uh, Tibetan grievances, uh, Tibetan uh, affairs, uh, before being appointed uh, as a party secretary in August 2016. Starting 2017, uh, namely uh, April 1, the Chinese uh, have been attacking Uyghurs in multiple fronts. They created this draconian uh, police state, uh, surveillance state, that has been uh, profiled, documented uh, through uh, in a various investigative uh, reporting uh, by credible media, as well as uh, several uh, documentaries, including this uh, documentary that I took part uh, in the age of AI um, uh, broadcasted in Frontline, PBS Frontline. So they use the technology to initially engage in massive data collection. Mm -hmm. uh, using something called IJOP, Integrated, uh, joint, um, integrated joint Platform, uh, uh, Yiti Hua Xitong is the Chinese name. They use this platform to uh, collect DNA samples, voice samples, iris scans, and also the travel history, publication, family connection, uh, the, the type of books that they own, uh, the type of friends that they engage, uh, associated with their bank accounts, everything. They compiled a massive database and starting in early 2017, they are, are start uh, taking Uyghurs into the uh, modern day concentration camps. So the technology played a crucial role. People can, should not and cannot overlook because technology is supposed to be something that facilitates a civil liberty, make our lives better. But in the modern day, this, the, this technology that the Chinese have put in place, tested by using Uyghurs' lives and homeland, 
not only created this nightmare, modern day genocidal campaign, concentration camps, but also posing threat to global security and also specifically threat to democratic norms. So the Uyghur people uh, technically paid a price or, uh, or acted as a laboratory material for the Chinese to test and implement and now export these technology. So with the technological help, the Chinese rounded up thousands of people uh, starting early 2017 based on leaked uh, Chinese uh, cable, a uh, China cable uh, uh, was on the news in 2019. Just in one week alone, uh, they retained, uh, detained uh, nearly 15, 16,000 uh, Uyghurs into the concentration camps. So this is the camp situation as well as the society with the, uh, the uh, uh, surveillance apparatus that they set up. And what else happening in the region? Uh, also very disturbing. Uh, when the international pressure was mounting, uh, when, when the journalists are reporting end up losing their uh, credentials in China. The Chinese tried to tell the world that uh, the, the Uyghurs have been graduating from these uh, re-education facilities that they called um, uh, and, and been released. But they're not released to the home, but they're released into the forced labor camps. So now that the, the, the Chinese not only brought back the concentration camps, the genocidal campaign to the modern era, but I also brought back cotton trade, the slavery. On top of that, we've been uh, reading and hearing about uh, some of the gruesome uh, forms of sexual violence against the Uyghur women. And then on, on top of that, they shave Uyghur prisoners' hair and turn them into a political economy, uh, beauty products, and selling it specifically in the African-American community here in the United States. And finally, they also did not spare the children. Uh, there are about half million Uyghur children have been uh, reportedly uh, taken away from their family, from their parents, and locked up in the state-run orphanages that the Chinese government shamelessly calling at boarding schools. So the, with these methods, uh, breaking family, breaking the lineage, breaking the uh, roots, Chinese effectively erased the boundaries between the concentration camp, the orphanage, uh, the actual prison camp, uh, the forced labor camp, and even private homes. So the Uyghurs live today in a uh, uh, in year 2021 uh, in a, uh, a perpetual uh, fear of apprehension in this open air prison. If they manage to spare, uh, manage to uh, avoid the concentration camps that have been widely reported, the Chinese government issued a white paper recently. Uh, in it, uh, it stated that uh, 1.3 million Uyghurs in the last five years went through uh, the uh, training facilities. Um, I'd like to highlight some, uh, something that is very important uh, and related to uh, today's conversation and particularly very important for President uh, Reagan's work uh, uh, fighting against uh, communism. Uh, in communist ideology, uh, transformation is a code word for human reengineering and indoctrination. So the Chinese government has been telling the world, uh, including uh, China's ambassador to Washington, uh, publicly uh, told the world that this government, uh, this regime is helping uh, Uyghurs to transform into normal human being. To them, the normal human being means 
you walk away from your centuries-old ethno-religious tradition, way of life, uh, and embrace uh, communism, embrace Xi Jinping thoughts, embrace Chinese culture, embrace Chinese way of life. That means uh, you basically subject yourself into this in, uh, forced indoctrination and also human reengineering. So people need to be very careful and very mindful when they hear transformation uh, from the Chinese official lines. Mm. I want to ask more about um, several things you mentioned there from the, the forced labor camps to uh, the role that, that new technologies have played in, in the surveillance and apprehension. Um, but first, you have such an incredible personal story. You were yourself born in a prison camp during a, a very difficult time in, in China's history. And now you're, you're a high profile Uyghur American attorney, a leading voice on uh, religious freedom and, and human rights activi activist and advocate. Um, tell us a little bit about your own background and the decisions that you made that led to uh, speaking up on, on these issues. I tried to have a normal life, uh, uh, especially after becoming an American citizen, after I becoming um, a lawyer uh, in nation's capital. Um, every, try, every, every time when I tried to have a normal life, just like anyone else, um, uh, the Chinese government managed to divert my attention, if not completely destroy some sort of normal, um, uh, semi-normalcy in my life. Um, I, after coming to the United States uh, about 26 years ago, uh, after being granted asylum, uh, being, uh, being able to go to law school here in Washington, go to graduate school uh, at the same uh, institution and uh, uh, trying to integrate into the American life uh, and working towards my American dream. Uh, I, 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 I gradually initially thought that the, the past persecution that I experienced, uh, the torturous environment that I was brought into this world will never be mentioned. I thought that the asylum application process was the last time that I talked about the way that I was brought to this world, but it didn't happen. Um, I, I, I cannot believe that I literally talk about the way that I was born almost every day, every single time when I do public speaking. I was born at the, uh, in a Chinese uh, detention, uh, re-education camp to be exact, during the height of cultural revolution where my young mother was locked up because of her relationship to her father that the Chinese authorities labeled as a nationalist. My, my university educated uh, father was sent to labor camp where he spent three years. So uh, my newly vetted parents were separated uh, by the Chinese government's uh, 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 program, uh, educating, uh, re-educating Uyghurs uh, through labor, uh, through this indoctrination. So my mother was in the city of Kashgar. My dad was in, in, in an area three hours away from where uh, she was. Um, and she gave birth to me while she was physically injured. Uh, she was in the cast, uh, wearing cast chest down when she delivered. So I spent the first several months of my life with my mother in, uh, in detention. Um, I came to the United States, granted asylum, uh, as I pointed out, uh, as I mentioned, uh, reestablished my life. Um, and I, uh, here I am, I'm talking about the, the camp coming back to the lives of the Uyghur people, both forced labor camps and re-education camp, if you, 
use the same terminology. But the re-education camp that uh, uh, my mother and I were detained, um, fundamentally different than the camps that we know today. Um, the camps that they set up today uh, is very similar to the ones that we read in the history books. The Chinese government's wording uh, matters so much. They use the words like the final solution to the Xinjiang problem. Uh, uh, you cannot clear out uh, weeds. One by one, you have to spray chemicals. Uh, the camps are, uh, the purpose of the camp to set up uh, uh, to break the lineage roots and connection of the Uyghur people. So this kind of stuff was not part of uh, the camps that I spent my early uh, days uh, in China. Uh, so, and not only that, uh, even being an American citizen does not make you fully uh, safe uh, or free because uh, Chinese authorities are ready and, and willing and capable of retaliating, as has been the case of uh, many people. Uh, because of my activism life, uh, because of my uh, leadership role uh, early on in a uh, political organization here in the United States, uh, and because of my brother's marriage to China's most hated Uyghur uh, activist daughter, the Ch authorities took away my past parents' passport a uh, month before my brother's uh, marriage uh, wedding in 2007. So the retaliation, uh, that was the mildest form of retaliation, but uh, the Chinese have been taking uh, much harsh uh, retaliatory acts against the Uyghur activists. But about three or four years ago, I was told that um, something horrific is, is brewing or, or, or taking place. And I initially myself have been so immersed and involved in these issues uh, uh, was in disbelief as was many people that I used to work with in the U.S. government uh, reacted uh, upon hearing these uh, horrific stories. This was back in 2018, uh, February 2018 to be specific. Uh, we went to talk to uh, our contacts in the, uh, in the, uh, at the State Department, uh, in Congress, uh, sounding the alarm, but no one seemed to be believing in that a country that the United States has intimate uh, economic relationship with and the international community has been having this warmth uh, thinking that a prosperous um, uh, advanced China will be one of us uh, kind of prevented them in believing what they're hearing from the Uyghur uh, individuals, activists uh, that I managed to arrange some meetings for. So, um, it, it was a difficult, uh, uh, excruciating um, a decision because when you're hearing that uh, Uyghurs are disappearing in thousands, uh, if not millions, in the early uh, in the early stage, that the last thing comes to your mind is to do anything harmful to your loved ones. But uh, the, the Chinese authorities pushed the Uyghurs to the position of uh, believing that there's nothing to lose, uh, not speaking out, not uh, advocating for those millions of uh, uh, voiceless people is simply unconscionable. Um, I encourage many Uyghurs, uh, Western educated, uh, uh, well-spoken uh, Uyghur activists, uh, Uyghur individuals, if they didn't even have any activism background in the past, 
to speak out. Uh, so uh, it's been working. Uh, the world not only know about uh, the, the crimes being committed against the Uyghur people today, uh, but also um, start uh, taking actions. Um, the United States government has been exemplary. And I could not be more proud of my, my own government for the historic unprecedented uh, policy decisions uh, have been announced, particularly since last May. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about some of those U.S. government decisions. On um, on the last day of the Trump administration, the U.S. was became the first country in the world to uh, to uh, declare the situation with the Chinese government and um, their crimes against the Uyghurs as a genocide. Um, when President Biden's Secretary of State had his confirmation hearing, he he um, said that he agreed with that. What was the significance of that um, of that declaration, and what what are some of those policy um, actions that the U.S. government <clears throat> should take as a as a result of of calling it a genocide? Secretary Pompeo's uh, announcement on January nineteenth uh, were both uh, significant and also substantive. Uh, significant in the sense that uh, Uyghur people have been looking for a recognition of what they have been gone through. Um, I know it for a fact that it will be hard to find anyone around the world who have not been affected by the ongoing atrocities in Xi Jinping's China. So as Secretary of State, the most powerful cabinet member, even if it's in his last day, making that bold uh, uh, decision uh, is, is is, is powerful. That's exactly the type of um, hope uh, that former uh, uh, Senator John McCain used to say as the most powerful weapon against oppression. Mm -hmm. So that precise decision, that decision precisely gave the Uyghurs the much needed hope that they are not alone, uh, they have been heard, and, and, and this madness, this crime will be stopped. Mm -hmm. So it, it, was, it was huge uh, moral comfort uh, for those who have been looking for their family members. I'm talking about American citizens, American children, American grandchildren. I know for a fact, including my own uh, 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 American babies who have not even had a chance to meet their grandparents. So, so um, it, was, it was such a moral, uh, morally important uh, uh, decision for the Uyghur people, not only here around the world. Uh, substantively, um, we have uh, experienced three genocidal campaigns in the last uh, 10 years, less than 10 years. If you look at the way that we start learning about Yazidi genocide, uh, it was around 2012, uh, and then uh, Rohingya genocide followed, and now the Uyghur genocide. Why do we have so many genocidal campaigns in less than 10 years? I think the international community should be feeling, uh, start feeling guilty especially those who are in power, especially those who were uh, engaging in business uh, activities with those uh, genocidal regimes, whether it be uh, Myanmar junta or the CCP supported business entities in China. Uh, this decision uh, shows that there's in a process uh, and there will be an accountability for those uh, who are committing uh, a genocide and a crime against humanity 
against uh, religious and ethnic minorities around the world. Uh, so this sends a powerful message to those bad actors who might be inclining to commit similar uh, crime. If it was not for the United States government taking this uh, powerful position, uh, a clear morally clear position by both uh, Democratic and Republican secretaries of state, uh, we may not be seeing uh, the developments uh, taking place uh, in Canada and Europe, uh, maybe the next one is Australia. So this shows true leadership. Um, uh, leaders, uh, sometimes our leaders act tepid, uh, but it does not really help him or our nation or the world. Uh, you have to be bold, especially when you're seeing uh, this kind of uh, naked crimes being committed against uh, people who cannot protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And finally, this is also good for our country. Whenever we step back, uh, someone else will fill in the void. Uh, it has been the case uh, as we retreat from uh, the international stage, uh, bad actors like the Russians and, and the Chinese uh, fill in the void, uh, create more problems. So um, this is also a leadership. Uh, this is an exemplary uh, leadership uh, posture that uh, our secretaries of state, uh, both Blinken and um, uh, Pompeo have shown. For that, uh, I am personally very grateful. Hmm. President Biden himself took some, some criticism for his recent comments when he was asked about the um, Chinese treatment of the Uyghurs in, in a televised town hall. Um, he referred to you know, different countries and their leaders have different cultural norms and, and um, spoke about it in very kind of moral, morally relativistic terms. What was your reaction when you heard the US president say that and, and, um, and what do you wish he had said? I was hoping to hear something along the lines of um, my Secretary of State Blinken uh, agreed with uh, uh, Secretary uh, Pompeo uh, and he said he would make the same judgment. Uh, in fact, I call it a genocide back in August 2020, way before anyone else is talking about it. He should have owned it. Uh, he should have said that I started this conversation, uh, which didn't happen. And number two, he should have said that, look, we will re-examine. We will look in, look at, take a hard look at our policies, not only here at home uh, around the world, whether or not it is, uh, whether or not it is, uh, it is normal to continue to engage engage in with a genocidal regime, and I was hoping also to hear uh, something. I will do uh, some of the following steps to stop the ongoing genocide, such as I will make an announcement that um, we will not send delegation to the next year's Winter Olympics. I will include. Uh, uh, the Uyghur uh, genocide in my uh, planned uh, democracy summit. I will uh, raise this issue every single time when I meet with not only with the Chinese, but also world leaders. I would rally uh, support from our allies and partners to tackle this uh, uh, monu monumental challenge that we're facing today. I would make sure that the Chinese will not use uh, uh, forced labor to continue to pollute the e global economic system with tainted products. So some of those uh, specific things have been uh, said uh, specifically by Blinken uh, on the 
the forced labor issues and the technology issue or holding Chinese to account. But these messages have to be coherent, uh, consistent. So I, I call on the Biden administration to, to be a little bit more clear on the uh, position. Um, as I said, you know, President Biden uh, called it genocide way back. Um, and, and it is not abnormal, unusual for him to continue to press on that. So I, 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 I would like to see uh, President Biden or uh, Secretary Blinken uh, organizing a, a summit uh, with a like-minded governments that appreciates uh, civil liberties, um, human rights, and democratic norms. Yeah, so it sounds like kind of what you're looking for is a combination of um, rhetorical support and, and concrete actions you know, as you put it, symbolic and, and substantive steps. Um, one of our, our projects here at the Reagan Institute under our Center for Freedom and Democracy is called the Westminster 2.0 Working Group. And it's named after President Reagan's speech at the uh, British Parliament at Westminster in 1982 when, um, when he laid out both a rhetorical case for um, supporting freedom and democracy around the world and substantive steps that the free world should take um, to actively advance freedom around around the world, not just not just protect, um, but but to uh, but to advance and promote that that work uh, in unfree countries. Um, and our project looks at what has changed in the forty years since then, and how the U.S. and the free world should modernize their approach to uh, to this work for for the twenty first century. And thinking back to what you were saying about new technologies and how they've really enabled and um, you know, provided the foundation for, for the Chinese um, efforts in surveilling and apprehending the Uyghur people. You know, these new technologies from artificial intelligence to facial recognition or cloud computing. Um, how do you think the international community needs to kind of adapt its strategy um, to do do this work in the 21st century when so many of those new technologies are um, are in play? First of all, the international community has to acknowledge that there's a problem with China. Um, feigning ignorance, looking the other way, or pretending that there's an issue uh, is untenable. I'm pleased to see uh, the current administration taking a similar stance on China as the previous administration. So this recognition uh, by both uh, a democratic and Republican administration is something that the international community should look into uh, to do, uh, putting aside political differences in domestic front. Uh, the challenge that we're facing uh, coming from China is real. This is gonna affect everybody's life. Um, if you think that what is happening to the Uyghur people uh, is too remote, uh, or um, uh, irrelevant, uh, then you have a, have a serious uh, issue down the road. I, I'm saying this because um, if the consumer products that you're using today, made by modern slaves, that includes beauty products, that includes baby pajamas, that includes your uh, uh, sneakers, that includes your computer components, that includes uh, the PPEs that uh, we're using to protect our lives, then this is no longer a Uyghur issue. This is our issue. This is our problem. This is your problem. 
And two, um, if a government um, is posing threat against democracy, human rights, and rule of law through a technology, uh, as uh, the CCP has been doing, uh, using Uyghurs' lives and homes, uh, homeland uh, as a, a laboratory, successfully testing and verifying now, exporting the same technology around the world, then eventually this will become a, a threat to, uh, already it's, a, it's posing a, a threat to uh, a democratic norms. There are about 80 countries that already have adopted uh, Chinese surveillance technology. What does it mean? In the future, um, any political leader, uh, any political party will uh, monitor your voting records, your travel history, uh, your private uh, information uh, against you for criminal, criminal, uh, cr for criminalization. So what, what, this, what this means is that the, the governments around the world that does not respect individual rights, uh, civil liberties, will use that information that they collected through the surveillance technology that they adopted from China uh, and will use that against you. So uh, if more than 80 countries already in the process of adopting Chinese surveillance technology, then uh, you need to take a, give, uh, take a hard look how it's gonna affect your life. If this new type of uh, surveillance uh, policing or preemptive policing as the Chinese call, um, becomes a new norm, then this will be a threat to democracy. This will be a threat to privacy. This will be a threat to our sovereignty. Uh, as we speak uh, in the United States, the Chinese are monitoring, surveilling, even harassing our fellow American citizens using uh, certain apps. Uh, and the same thing is happening around the world. So the Chinese technology may be cheap. Uh, Chinese hardware may be cheap but it will come with the cost. So I caution uh, people around the world that when the United States is sounding the alarm about the Chinese uh, surveillance technology, uh, it's not about geopolitics. I'd like to point out something uh, quite significant that Chinese have managed to uh, uh, spread this misinformation that US opposing Chinese technology is for the US geopolitical interest. Yes, we do have a geopolitical interest because what this Chinese technology is threatening the democratic norm and being used for abusing international system that we helped to build. So, so uh, uh, I, I caution those uh, people, individuals around the world and governments when they hear uh, Chinese uh, propaganda, uh, be mindful. They are much more interested selling their products and, uh, and, and exporting their digital authoritarianism then making your lives better. Mm. When you talk about you know, the role that um, the exporting of, of the products themselves that are being made under these situations of, of forced labor, um, you know, how can American corporations, companies, or even regular everyday American consumers uh, who are moved by this, this account of what's happening to the Uyghurs, how can they uh, make sure that they aren't, um, you know, whether it's in the supply chains of a particular company or on behalf of an, a particular consumer, how can they ensure that they're not supporting um, the slave labor and forced labor of, of the Uyghur people? I recently published an op-ed uh, in the New York Times and discussed very, this very uh, issue. 
my focus has been uh, through my personal and professional work uh, is to encourage the consumers and American businesses uh, to become an act, uh, active, playing an active role in this. If we consumers stop buying certain brand, that will affect the health of that particular manufacturer or business entity. If that business entity uses uh, that pressure, under that pressure to beef up their own compliance programs, uh, engaging in due diligence, and use that very uh, influence that they have in China uh, in their relationship with the Chinese authorities to stop uh, the forced labor practices, then this will be relatively smooth uh, process uh, that will eventually uh, uh, help us to uh, shut down these forced labor camps. So the governments like our own cannot meddle um, uh, in the business practices of private companies, but we can only do issue a business advisory as the previous administration did, but the consumers have a greater role. Uh, I, I read something uh, quite interesting a few days ago in Washington Post that uh, reported a Chinese uh, supplier, uh, Huafu, uh, in its filing uh, with the local uh, SEC equivalent, uh, complaining that uh, many US uh, companies canceled the order because of uh, the concern about forced labor. That is really powerful example that the consumer activism can make a difference. If we pressure uh, our brand, American companies, uh, then they will have no choice but to terminate their relationship with questionable suppliers. There are some companies, American companies, uh, preemptively uh, uh, did some house cleaning, uh, terminating some questionable suppliers. Uh, that should be the uh, uh, model. That should be the new norm for US and global brands to examine uh, carefully uh, conduct a due diligence of those third party suppliers to make sure that they are not connected to the Chinese government, to make sure that they are not one of those uh, companies or entities affiliated, associated with uh, uh, the ones in the Commerce Department's entity list and specifically make sure that they are not using forced labor under the direction or under the dress um, uh, by the Chinese government. So this is not, this is the, the, the magnitude of the problem that we're dealing is, is huge, but that could be uh, something that the consumers uh, could help to change. Um, when you look at the statistics, um, it shows the severity of the problem. Last year alone, uh, the exports from the Uyghur region to the United States increased by 200%. So double. Wow. The, uh, the, the same thing um, with Europe. During the period of uh, April 2019 through April 2020, the export volume from uh, the Uyghur region to Italy uh, also doubled uh, nearly uh, by 200%. So uh, anything that you touch, uh, consumer products, beauty products, computer components, uh, believed to be uh, produced by uh, Uyghur slaves. When you go to the New York Times uh, uh, page, uh, type in PPE, you will see the, uh, the assembly line making uh, the mask that we're buying from 
uh, stores here in the United States. And if you go to CNN, uh, you will uh, have a, a pretty good idea uh, through those um, uh, uh, graphic presentation that uh, how it's made and where it's made and, and what are the targeted market uh, for those um, Uyghur prisoners here turned into political economy and exported around the world. Mm. I've got one one more question and then we'll close with our, our lightning round. Um, you know, I, I assume your your short term goal uh, in the work that you're doing is is to end the situation of of surveillance, imprisonment, forced labor, and and genocide of the Uyghur people. Um, but what's your long term dream or vision or hope for the Uyghurs? Um, I came to realization that um, you know uh, this issue has become more than just uh, my own personal desire, or bigger than saving the Uyghur people. Um, recently, when I was uh, studying the Jewish history, uh, deepening my knowledge about uh, communism uh, in Central Eastern Europe, uh, Stalin's Gulag, uh, Auschwitz, and Dachau, I came to realize that um, uh, religious minorities uh, or people with a strong political ideology have been subject to a similar type of um, uh, atrocities, uh, crimes. Um, my, my mission in life has been uh, refocused on atrocities prevention. Um, I like to be able to use my experience, uh, uh, my knowledge in these areas uh, to help the others whose voice have not been heard or underrepresented in, in a public discussion. Well, certainly a noble goal and um, and reflected in, in the work that you're doing. Um, as you know, we like to close each of our Reaganism podcast episodes by asking our guests um, to share their favorite uh, quote or speech or book about President Reagan. Um, is there what, one of those that you would like to share with us today? I'd like to hear uh, uh, a world leader, our president or someone else, to tell, the, tell Xi Jinping to tear down the firewall. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the face of these uh, atrocities uh, taking place real time, uh, most Chinese people don't even know that uh, there is a concentration camp in their backyard. There's a genocidal campaign being uh, carried out by their government. So I, I'd like somebody to use the same metaphor that uh, President Reagan used uh, to tear down the Chinese firewall. And two, I, I, as for reading is concerned, I'd like uh, uh, your audience to read President uh, uh, Reagan's uh, speech at Fudan University in 1984. And finally, um, I'd like to say this uh, to conclude that I would like, I would love to see uh, our leaders uh, in the modern era uh, to be as clear as President Reagan was uh, conveying uh, or expressing American value, uh, 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 a respect for human rights, uh, democratic norms. And uh, importantly, I would like to see a leader, our president or someone else, educating the world the true nature of the communism and, uh, and its destructive nature that is against everything that human value uh, is for everything that human being naturally uh, desires for, everything that human being naturally uh, 
would like to be part of uh, in, in a normal livelihood. Mm. Well, an inspirational place to end, certainly. Thank you very much for joining us today and thank all of you for listening.